Welcome to Fringe with Benefits podcast, episode 89, solo host edition. Can you believe it's episode 89 already? You know what, considering it's been way too long since I've recorded a podcast, since um, it's it's been like over a month, and I've been intentionally laying low considering I was on TV this summer. You'd think I would capitalize on that, but I... For some reason, I just don't. And I should, because they do. So why wouldn't I? Anyways, um, I prefer to keep the fan base of Naked and Afraid away from my podcast. Although that doesn't really happen most of the time. Some migrate their way over here. And by all means, you're welcome. Uh, I prefer to grow the podcast organically based on truth-seeking, and I don't really like it when the drama spills over from the challenge. If you've been a listener, you'll know why I do the podcast. And to those that are new, I do this show out of duty to my kids, my family, my friends, and my community in response to the tyrannical response by world leaders in the wake of the attack on our freedoms from 2020 and onward and before then i think 2020 was when people were like what the actual fuck is happening right now and i knew that if i didn't stand up for myself and my kids that i would be acting shamefully by staying silent raise your hand if you felt the same way as we can see that things have continued to become progressively worse and most people can see it now and i believe that we're experiencing a mass awakening as a species i don't know about you but i do people are waking up in droves more than ever can see beyond the veil which is kind of what we talk about here on fridge with benefits is what is beyond the veil what is out there that we are not aware of or we cannot see and this is like no other time in history pat yourself on the back because you're living during epic times hey hey hey, no pun intended i do like epic times but not epic but epic e-p-i-c epic therefore i am here because i choose to come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous peculiar weird and abnormal So before we get into the topics, let's just go ahead and hit on some business. Share the show. I do no advertising. I have no sponsorships. Any businesses I promote or have affiliations with do not cover the cost of the show. If I share about a company or an organization, it's because I use and I like the product and or service. So sharing the show will help me. If you want to help me, share it. If you want to help me, do a review. Five stars would be preferred, but if you want to talk shit, go for it. Follow me on all the socials. They're linked below. There's also a Telegram invite. Look at the show notes for links, discounts, and sources for all discussion topics. I do have a Patreon. I've been thinking about being much more diligent with my social medias. I have a really big problem with being a slave to social media, even though I'm kind of a slave as far as a consumer goes. I don't know about you. Most of us are consumers and not creators. I want to flip the script in my own experience because I really despise the whole thing, but I know how necessary it is. So using my business, I'm in real estate. I have created accounts solely for promoting real estate ideas, real estate services, real estate education. And so I've been implementing a social media action plan, and this is probably one of the more challenging things that I've had to do, really working on it. I'm thinking that I could probably do that to promote myself as as a podcaster, as somebody who has valuable things to say to the world. I do have a mailbag, and I thought I had some voicemails, but I think they're just phishing links, (laughs) so... I don't want to click on any of those links and I take that as a, a valuable skill to resist the urge to click on links that come through my email. They're not coming directly through my podcasting platform, so I can't imagine that they're real, but if they are, shoot me an email. <laughs> Fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. You can reach me there. 
If it looks legit, I will respond. Don't send me any links unless I know you because I'm sure as fuck not going to click on them. Email me if you have a story, you have a question, a rant, inquiry. You might even get lucky and I might answer some naked and afraid questions. Everybody has something to say about that. Feel free. Fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. Let's get into the insanity. That's why you're here, is the insanity. Okay, first, on May 5th, there was a media briefing from the Department of Health from Washington. They used 35 minutes of a 45-minute session to continue marketing the unsafe and ineffective gene therapies. You know what I'm talking about, people. Telling Washington residents that although the public health emergency will be ending May 11th, they should still take their shots. During his five-minute concluding statement, Secretary of Health Umer Shah summed up the press briefing best when he said, your best shot is to take your shot. He noted that 16 million doses of the shots were given in Washington with 75% of the population receiving the primary series. Even though the emergency will be ending, he says that fighting COVID-19 remains a priority. We still have to take the vaccines for COVID-19 and other vaccines as well, he said. Assistant Secretary for Prevention and Community Health Michelle Roberts added, quote, single most important tool for COVID-19 is the vaccine, end quote. Okay, I'm going to interject there. I would say that the single most important tool towards any infection or illness would be your own health and immune system, wouldn't you? Well, that's my input. Let's move on. Department of Health fielded less than 10 minutes of questions from four representatives of the media. So for a 45-minute briefing, they only allowed 10 minutes of questions from the media. Allison Morrow, who is an independent journalist, asked about business mandates on their employees, in which Lacey Fehrenbach answered that it remains a workplace hazard, so employers may still be able to do the mandates, and we will support them with that. And they thank the media for their partnership throughout the pandemic. It, you hear that. They thanked them for their partnership. Well, when, when did media become a partner to government agencies and elected officials? In free society, aren't they supposed to be free from government partnerships in order to have journalistic integrity? In a free society, isn't the media supposed to quench, question the government and criticize them and and dig into their operations. Next is, um, I want to put a spotlight on Dr. Ryan Cole, who lives in Idaho, but he's licensed to practice medicine in Washington State. He was one of 30 invitees, May 3rd, to speak to members of the European Parliament at the International COVID-19 Summit in Brussels, Belgium. Epic Times published an article in late January detailing the charges by Washington Medical Commission against Dr. Cole over fa alleged false and misleading statements about the shots and his prescribing ivermectin to treat patients. But this week, a news article popped up that, according to the FDA lawyer, that doctors now can prescribe ivermectin for COVID. Y'all heard that, right? That's a new release. So let's go back again. Dr. Cole said, and I really want to share what he s spoke about at the COVID-19 summit in front of the European Parliament. Okay, so this is going to be him in his words. We now have countries passing laws preventing people, preventing scientists from speaking the truth, preventing the opportunity to engage in dialogue. We have seen the loss and the death of informed consent around the world. How many people were told of all the harms to the brain, the heart, the reproductive organs prior to getting these injections? We've seen the death of public health. Vitamin D was ignored. We have a vitamin D deficiency pandemic right now around the world that could have allayed and prevented much of the harms we saw. We have an obesity pandemic around the world. Probably the biggest death we have seen around the world in the past three years is the death of curiosity and the death of critical thinking. How many people in this room know about the Trusted News Initiative? Please raise your hand. It's about half the room. That's more than most audiences. 
The reason you haven't heard most things that you've heard today is because the media is in collusion with whatever powers that be to prevent you from getting that information. How many people in this room after the rollout of the injections have a friend, colleague, patient who had an unexpected cancer after a regressive cancer? Show of hands. Wow, let the record show for those who can't see the room. That's more than half the room. The pathologist is the most important doctor you'll ever meet, meet whom you hope is right. And I'm honored to be here with my esteemed colleagues. We are the quality control of medicine. We are the ones who, if we see something, you say something, whether it's convenient or not. And why does it even matter? Because it's life or death between our eyeballs. That's what we do every day. All good science begins with observation. My colleagues here, and I want to thank Dr. Arne Burkhart and his group of first pointing out the harms from these COVID-19 shots. I was in a meeting just two days ago in Texas and more pathologists were here as well as another recently and pathologists are seeing this but are afraid to say something because of the loss of profession or job. Clinical observation, the cancer rates are off the charts and growing and that's unfortunate. Insurance data sets in Germany are showing increases in unexpected cancers. And here follows from a letter from Dr. Angus Dogliish, Professor of Oncology at St. George's University of London. Dr. Dogliish has seen very aggressive cancers in the population. Now, this is a person who has been doing oncology for 40 years. So when you see something, you say something, and he has spoken out. It's time to stop these shots. Then Dr. Cole shows some graphs to prove the rise of cancer in rates from 2021, right after the rollouts of the shots. That shows in 2021, something interesting happened. And here you have the upward trend. And these are reported carcinomas over expected trends. And we got the same thing. It's not anecdotal. As you saw from my colleague, the spike protein is present through all tissues of the body. It's not meant to be. Human cells are meant to make human proteins, not make toxins. So to inject a gene-based product into the body to make your cells a factory for a toxin is psychologically insane. Dr. Cole discussed the cancer mechanisms, drivers, and contributors from the spike protein, which can cause gene mutations, hypoxic environment, chronic viral infections, low inf interferon, decreased cell energy, and mitochondrial change. It can also fragment microDNA. There's loss of immune surveillance, hormone dysregulation, toll-like receptor alterations. He said, is there an SV40 promoter sequence in the Pfizer COVID-19 vials? Yes, there is. And all these are mechanisms that the spike pro protein can use. So why are we injecting people with something that makes a spike protein that can do all these things that can lead to cancer mechanisms? Then he uses a slide to point the audience to an article in Cell by Dr. Katharina Roltigin about longevity of the spike protein. And he talks about, does the spike protein go away quickly? Well, no, it does not. Does the micro or does the mRNA go away quickly? No, it does not. In this study out of Stanford, it shows that the body hangs on to the synthetic mRNA for at least 60 days although not in the case with everybody. And that leads to all the cancer mechanisms that he just talked about. He borrowed the following from Dr. Burkhart with his permission. All those blue cells are the lymphoma of the stomach. And what is fascinating is that all the brown dots are spike protein in every one of those cancer cells. These are studies that should have been done before one needle went into one human arm anywhere in the world. None of these were done. And Along with all this information, which I think is really important information, and this just came out a couple months ago, is that people are still trying to remediate what was done a couple of years ago. And the whole reason I'm doing this fucking podcast is because of what happened a couple of years ago. So there's all these slides showing carcinogens inside the cell along with the spike protein. And then there's pancreatic adenocarcinoma. There are pink dots that should not be there in this slide. The spike protein is in each one of those cancer cells. And did they rule out the other proteins from the virus? Yes, they did. This was post-vaccination. And the patient thought she was doing the right thing by getting the shot because her doctor, not giving her informed consent, talked her into receiving it. And now she only has a few months to live for a virus she had little to no risk of. 
And then there's a slide of bone marrow that shows a bunch of pink dots. Spike protein damaging stem cell lines of bone marrow. Another reason why they're seeing a marked increase in lymphoma and leukemia causing suppression of the immune system. He goes on to say the laws around the world are irrelevant if there's no will to enforce the laws and regulations that are on the books. We have seen how much corruption can happen over a little virus and it's, that's no worse than the flu. Then he shares a slide of a, an article, a paper in viruses and it's called spike harm damage DNA repair. SARS-CoV-2 spike impairs DNA damage repair and inhibits VDJ recombination in vitro. This was retracted, but it shows that the DNA is damaged by the spike protein when it gets into the nucleus and destroys immune cell function. This is important as well because the DNA damage mismatched repair can happen in most tissues in the body. The study was retracted because at the National Institute of Health, they were characters who decided they did not want this information public. A FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act, was it revealed that the communications between the two characters, he's not going to talk about that, pushed to get that paper retracted because this cancer-promoting mechanism is inconvenient. And all 490 pages concerning the retraction of the paper will not be released by the government. They're holding on to them because there's a story being hidden behind the companies and the National Institute of Health knowing that there was carcinogenic potential in these products. Then there are nanoparticles from Pfizer and Moderna. There's a warning that says that this product is not for human or veterinary use. These lipid nanoparticles on their data safety sheets clearly say that these nanoparticles are not for human or veterinary use. Yet 5 billion people have them in their bodies now. Showing more slides from his laboratory, Dr. Cole said that every laboratory in the world should be doing autopsy studies on all spike proteins and the damage it's caused. He says that they should be done on every single sudden death. And then he goes on to say, warning to Europe and to the world, we have a potentially social and economic widespread impact if these cancer trends continue. This isn't just about a handful of people dying from cancer. This is a societal warning that this can have a grave social and economic impact on many nations. He gave the following recommendations. First, we need demand that the government databases and the ICD-10 codes be made public, searched, reported, and not delayed. All this in all the countries in the world should be updated weekly. These numbers are available, and yet we have a lag in reporting of easily accessible data. Every doctor who sees a patient puts in the code after a visit. The pathologist who sees the slide puts in a code after a diagnosis. This data is available in the databases and gives us a sense of every country and their international data codes. All of this data should be transparent and available. It should not be hidden. Next, he said, we need to stop these injections because of all the variants. All the variants that the injections were designed for are extinct. These are expired shots for something that is extinct. All these variants are gone. No shots should be going into any arm anywhere in the world. These are expired products. And these should can never keep up with what's out there because of the nature of any virus. I mean, it's the same thing that goes with the flu as well. But we can't keep up with the mutations. He said we also need to stop the unproven technology in the lipid, lipid nanoparticle sequence. He says it's dangerous. It's not proven. We do not have 10 years of safety data for this platform of technology, yet 500 million plants are being built in Kenya, Canada, UK. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yet, $500 million plants are being built in Kenya, Canada, UK, and Australia for mRNA technology, a technology that is not proven and is known to be dangerous. And then he concluded in his presentation with the following quote from Soren Kierkegaard. There are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true, and the other is to refuse to believe what is true. It's a brilliant presentation by a doctor fighting the good fight. Should have been all over the news. Nobody's talking about it. And so that's why I'm coming here today to share with you. A true American hero in our world today, in my opinion. Okay, next is... <laughs> all this stuff is just so fucking mind-blowing. And I just I put it together so I can share with you guys and and hopefully... 
hopefully make a small ripple effect and and help the situation we're in because my god the next generation of doctors are not being evaluated for entrance into medical school there is an increasing number of medical schools dropping objective medical college admission test the mcats they're replacing them with subjective measures that place more emphasis on race gender and other measures of inclusion so if you haven't heard of the MCATs, it's what everybody has to take if they're going to go to medical school. The MCAT assesses the ap- academic preparedness and is a critical component of medical school admissions. It, by putting less emphasis on the MCAT, they may be overlooking qualified applicants in favor of those with less ap- academic preparation. Standards are falling across American institutions, all for the sake of promoting diversity. Approximately 40 medical schools in the U.S. have dropped the MCAT requirement. Some of the top medical schools, Columbia, Harvard, University of Chicago, Stanford, Mount Sinai, University of Pennsylvania, all dropped the MCAT. City University of New York, the seven-year medical program, now aims to increase the number of physicians of African-American, Hispanic, and other ethnic backgrounds who have been historically underrepresented in the medical profession and whose communities have been historically underserved by primary care practitioners. Minority students are exclusively exempted from MCAT. They take a summer program from one of the five historically black colleges and universities. Laura Morgan, program manager of Do No Harm, a watchdog group, says the MCAT has been shown to predict who has the best chance to be successful in medical school. Eliminating it removes a proven standard for schools to consider when admitting students who demonstrate the aptitude to be good doctors. By dropping the MCAT, medical schools negatively impact the medical profession. Morgan explains that it's not adequate because it's subjective as opposed to standardized tests, which are objective metrics. According to Dr. Stanley Goldfarb, he's the chairman of Do No Harm, he said, People of every race and background are fully capable of becoming world-class physicians. Medical schools should seek out the best candidates who are most likely to provide the best care for patients, regardless of what they look like or where they come from. Anything less jeopardizes the very purpose of these institutions. The medical elite may not want to admit it, but their current approach to achieving diversity has a steep cost, and it's wrong to ask patients to pay it. Kudos to do no harm. Next, I've talked a lot about how out of their minds Washington is. Well, recently things have gotten so bad in one of our cities that they decided to make drugs illegal again, I guess. Because <laughs> you weren't getting, now you can be arrested for drug possession. But you couldn't for a while there. In Bellingham, Washington, this is a proud liberal city of 92,000. They've had enough. And according to the fire department, they had 223 overdoses. That's two and a half calls a day between January and April. Okay. Among the dead are two teenagers and a five-year-old who overdosed on fentanyl. So they're so commonplace. Bellingham City Council member Edwin Williams said one victim was dead for hours before anyone even noticed. People slumped over in their cars, makeshift encampments of rusty RVs. People slumped over shopping carts all over the place out here. Edwin Williams, council member, let's revisit him. He said he's lived here for 30 years and he has never seen anything like this. He said, I would characterize our city as one that's trying and willing to bend over backwards to help provide people with programs to address either addiction or homelessness. There was an ordinance approved on April 10th, making it a crime to inject, ingest, or inhale hard drugs in public. That's the departure from the state law passed two years ago that was the opposite, which decriminalized drug possession. The council's decision to get tougher on drugs was spurred in part by the death of a five-year-old, which led to the arrest of her parents and another person who all have been charged with murder. And on top of the five-year-old, two teen deaths. Emily Halaz, 15, was found dead on March 8th at a homeless encampment behind Bellingham Home Depot, and 17-year-old Aaron Coleman died at his grandfather's home in King County. The county, Whatcom County, had 11 overdose deaths in 2018. That number has exploded 
50 in 2021 and 89 in 2022. Under the new rules who are caught using hard drugs like fentanyl or meth in public, they would be arrested but may only face misdemeanor charges. Bellingham Mayor Seth Fleetwood said the ordinance would also include a community court component with those arrested would be placed in a type of diversion program. Details have not been solidified. Parents Stephen Lori Sachushek say their son Mick, 29, was failed by the authorities and the state before he recently lost his battle with drug addiction. He struggled with schizophrenia for more than a decade and was probably abusing methamphetamine and fentanyl where he, when he was found dead in the town's Arne Hana Aquatic Center on April 5th. His parents, Mick's parents, said despite stints in the medical health treatment facilities and rehab in California and Washington, their son was often turned away or released back in, into the streets without them knowing. She, they said it's been 10 years of living hell, understanding what happens with people who are mentally ill. She said, through her tears, the fact that my son overdosed on fentanyl or any drug was just bound to happen because he did not have a chance in our system. Steve, the father, said Washington's inability to implement laws that could address the growing mental health and drug crisis has left people like his son without a safety net. He said he would consider himself a progressive person, but there are a lot of laws and things that I don't think work properly. Bellingham officials began to see the uptick in crimes and public drug use after the 2021 state Supreme Court struck down Washington's law that made simple drug possession a felony. Current state law, which classifies drug possession as a misdemeanor on the third arrest, expires July 1st. A proposed bill that would have provided harsher punishment, including a 90-day jail sentence, failed to garner enough votes in the state Senate last month. So as we can see, things are really, really out of line over here, and now they're trying to fix their huge fuck-up. And people are dying. People are losing their lives because of this. We are going to shift gears and talk about crazy toys. I'm sure that you guys have heard, you know, parents complain about some crazy toys out there. Well, I ran into a few articles about these kind of, like, off-the-wall toys and and maybe we'll discuss on whether or not it's the toy manufacturer or the parents responsibility to vet these toys okay the first thing is a youtube video it's linked the evil stick have you guys heard about this it was found in dollar stores all over the country it was basically a princess magic wand that lights up and at first, it's got like a little mirror type, like a piece of um, metallic reflective material over an image. And you hit the button and it plays this music and this evil laugh plays and it lights up. And then you could see behind the mirror and it's a picture of a young girl cutting herself. It's not even a cartoon. It's an actual photo check it out i would say that this is really sick and super demonic i don't know what to think about this do parents need to pay more attention would it be on the parent to inspect the toy i would say in this case yeah because it says right on the packaging evil stick but also on the other hand do toy makers have a responsibility and do they have a liability i would say yes too i would say yes to both as far as the evil stick thing goes, though, totally sick, twisted, dark, demonic, just awful, awful. So if you want to see that, check it out in the YouTube link below. And then this kind of like ran me down a rabbit hole about controversial toys or dangerous toys. And some of these are freaking hilarious. We've got... You know, this topic of controversial toys made for children and when I first started the podcast there was a big story that was going around about this troll doll that if you touched between her legs and pressed a button she said things people were super outraged about this I was pretty pissed off about this too because this is you know it's borderline grooming and it was hidden from consumers it's not like it's on the packaging touch your hoo-hoo and she giggles or you know, tells you, haha, that feels funny. I don't know. Anyways, here's some stuff. There was a foul-mouthed Teletubby doll named Poe, 
And some parents said the doll sounded like it was saying things like bite my butt as well as a gay slur. And the manufacturer said that it was actually saying the nonsensical word fit it, fit it. And I guess they have their own language. So they had to put a little insert in there to explain the Teletubbies language. Pretty innocent, I would say. Then there was a Ken doll that had a necklace that strongly resembled a cock ring. And people were saying it was a queer fashion statement. I'm not so sure that that was a cock ring. It sure looks like one. And Ken looks pretty gay. So, I don't know. Then in the 2000s, there was a company, Bronze Toys, introduced Baby Glotten, a toy designed to let children imitate the act of breastfeeding a baby. The toy came with a child-sized bra and flower-shaped nipples that the doll can suck on. And the doll made sucking and burping sounds. I think this one's relatively innocent. I mean, it's a biological action and... But, I mean, who who knows? I mean, I think that is up to the discretion of each parent. Because, I mean, we nurse our babies in front of our children. It's a natural thing. That's an interesting, interesting toy. And then in 1992, there was a Teen Talk Barbie. Each doll contained a voice box that allowed the doll to say four random phrases out of 270 possible ones. And one of them said... <laughs> The shit people are offended by this one. She would say math class is tough. <laughs> so I'm wondering if it's the perspective of the people that are saying that this is offensive. Maybe they're being offensive by saying that what math class is tough for females only. I think that that's a pretty universal statement that math class is tough to most people. The president of AAUW said, we didn't fully consider the potentially negative implications of this phrase, nor were we aware of our findings in your organization's report, because I guess they did a report on it. Honestly, I don't see that as a big deal. Next is a 1999 Disney doll, Tarzan. And the doll makes a jungle call sound and it moves its arm up and down. It kind of looks like he's masturbating. But, I don't know, some of these people have really dirty minds. Then, this one is seriously dangerous. Cloud Pets came out. It was, they were marketed as a message you can hug. So you can record your voice on the Cloud Pets mobile app and send it to the child's stuffed animal. And the child can reply by pressing the doll's paw, paw and record their own message. But after the toy's release, there was a reported data leak. And according to a 2017 Forbes report, an application security expert was one of the first individuals to notice that someone had a copy of the database that included information of the users, such as the profile pictures of the children and recorded audio files. And there was no way to know how many people had access to it. So think about that. Your kids profile picture, likely the location, because I mean, if you had to register on this mobile app, you probably had to put address information in there. And then they had recordings of you leaving messages for your child as well as your own child's voice. That seems extremely dangerous, kind of like the geolocation on a lot of these apps, people being able to hack that and get locations on your kids and your homes and what you're doing and where you're at certain personal things about your kid that could be a tool for traffickers and i think that's really dangerous this next one's pretty funny and i'm a female and i can find this funny 2014 it's girl stuff cleaning toy set went viral Manufactured by Candy Toys, the set consisted of things like a dustpan and a broom that kids can use to pretend to clean. And it was pur purple and pink, and it was covered in flowers, and the gender symbol for female. Here's a novel idea. Why don't you just give your kids, male or female, just some real cleaning materials and have them clean? But I think, I think it's funny 
that it's it was called It's Girl Stuff, and it was a dustpan and a broom. There should have been a sandwich making set with it. Next is The American Girl released a doll in 2009 named Gwen Thompson. It was the first doll that was homeless. So people didn't like that. That was problematic for people because this doll had a backstory of not having a home. Jeez. And then 1996, there was a Cabbage Patch Kids Snack Time dolls that had battery-powered mechanical jaws that moved when the dog doll was fed with foods. I guess children's hair and fingers would get stuck. A seven-year-old girl in Connecticut got her hair stuck in the doll's mouth, and she had to be freed by rescue workers. She was not injured, thank goodness. But there was estimated 100 reports of kids getting their fingers or hair caught in the doll's mouth, which is kind of freaky. Next is, this is a big one. And this is one that I would say that it, it it's going to be on the parents as well as the toy manufacturer here. And I'm glad that they discontinued these. But at the same time, parents got to be sure when they got to watch their damn kids because... Magnetics magnetic building kits were released in the early 2000s. These were these small, colorful magnets that you can use to build things. Because of how small and colorful they were, kids were eating them. And in 2006, a 20-month-old died after he swallowed the magnets. It twisted his small intestines and created a blockage and caused all kinds of serious injuries to children. About 27 intestinal injuries. So... They recalled millions of these magnetics toys, which is probably a good call. Anyhow, toys, toys, the wonderful world of toys. Next, let, we're going to switch gears again to a, a, a much more serious topic about the story that was released about an 18-year-old boy dying from creating a vagina using part of his colon. And this was from a 2016 medical article. article that revealed details about this 18-year-old boy's death due to the complications from his gender-affirming surgery. This paper was a part of a Dutch study that laid the groundwork for child sex change operations. So, here's the story on him. He was given puberty blockers at a young age. And listen to Just listen to the story and tell me if there's any parallels to what a lot of kids are experiencing right now. So he was given puberty blockers because he claimed he was a girl. These medica medications resulted in a lack of penile tissue developing, which was the reason that surgeons had to remove a part of his colon in order to perform a vaginoplasty. That's where they take the tissue and they create a neovagina. The patient was described as a healthy teenager, but within 24 hours of the surgery, he had necrotizing fasciitis. This is a bacterial infection that can spread quickly and resulting in cell death, tissue death. Doctors tried to save him by administering intravenous antibiotics and repeated surgical debridement, which is removing dead and infected tissue. His organs went into failure and he died. Further investigation, showed that he died from a deadly strain of E. coli that most likely came from his own intestines, which means that his intestines had bacteria on it as they were using part of his colon to create a vagina. Many medical experts and hospitals claim these surgeries are not only safe, but are necessary for people who suffer from gender dysphoria and seek to have their true gender affirmed. The researchers of this Dutch study still declare that vaginoplasty has a positive influence on transgender people's lives. How about the novel idea, and this is kind of what I was taught when I was a kid and I was having, you know, body dysmorphia or self-esteem issues, self-confidence issues. Why don't we teach kids to love themselves in the body that they were born in, right? That's a creative idea. Um, next is a little bit more lighthearted. We're just kind of going a little bit more lighthearted. Weird news coming to you. Casper, Wyoming. Police pulled over a speeding El Camino during a routine field sobriety test. The officer saw several eyeballs slide from the suspect pant leg onto the asphalt. 
Cop thinking that he's got a murderer on his hands, drew his guns and cuffed him. Roy Tilbot, 51, of Casper, Wyoming, was quick to assure police that the eyeballs were not human, but instead harvested from cows. He had taken 30 cow eyeballs from Johnson Meats, the slaughterhouse he worked at, and smuggled them off the premises in his rectum. Tilbot said, the company won't let us take animal scraps home and instead of to- and instead toss them in the landfill. They are a very wasteful company and we should be allowed to take scrap meat and other parts home. This company should start a green initiative. They don't even have recycling at the plant. <laughs> so he thought, well, I enjoy eating bovine eyeballs and smuggling them out in my colon was the only way I knew how to get them out without potentially getting caught and fired. He admitted to the police he's been doing it every day for several months. He said that he puts them in soups and they're good for erectile dysfunction, which he battles with, and he loves the texture and taste. He was arrested for driving under the influence. His blood alcohol content was nearly two times higher than the legal limit. And he had several large carving knives concealed under his seat. I guess he he takes those home from work, too. I guess police are wanting to talk to his employer before charging him with theft of the eyeballs and knives, but Johnson Meats has not released a statement regarding the incident. What a name, Johnson Meats, right? You know, you got a Johnson and and people call it your meat. I don't know. <laughs> and then last is the probably the weirdest news I've heard besides the eyeballs and the asshole. Villagers in a rural district of Alto Nene, northeast of Lima, Peru, claim they've been under attack by seven-foot-tall armored aliens bearing a striking resemblance to the Green Goblin from Spider-Man. According to these locals, these extraterrestrial beings have large heads, yellow eyes, and they've been launching nightly attacks on the community since July 11th. In one incident involving a 15-year-old girl, who was grabbed from behind, had her neck cut when she resisted. Community members are living in fear, unable to sleep peacefully due to the constant threat. The aliens are being described as being immune to their hunting weapons. They've been shot. They weren't phased. Now villagers are asking for the Peruvian military to intervene and protect them. They are claiming the aliens are wearing protective armor and have unique floating abilities using round-shaped shoes with red lights on the hill, okay? I've also heard them being described as, like, Predator, you know, like the movie. There was another article that came out to kind of discredit these villagers and say that the prosecutor's office in Peru is investigating, and they are starting to point the finger at illegal gold mining crime syndicates, using jetpacks, so jetpack flying gold cartels, using fear in a bizarre campaign of alien terror, keeping the locals in their homes and away from the cartel's illegal gold pits. Prosecutors suspect that these illegal mining cartels first used their jetpacks to prospect for gold deeper into the unforgiving jungle surrounding Peru's Nene River. Jetpack wearing gold miners is their is their report for this. So how would they explain them being seven foot tall, having large heads, yellow eyes, rounded shaped shoes with a red light on the hill? I ha- I guess I haven't seen very many jetpacks. Do they have round shaped shoes with red lights on the heel? Hmm. And usually jetpacks are pretty loud and you can kind of tell that it's a jetpack. I don't know. This is something we definitely need to keep an eye on. This next segment is usually Inward Survival's School of Magic, in which we counteract all the negative stuff that's out there that, you know, I tend to talk about and balance it out by talking about health and wellness or mindfulness or or something to that effect. But this time I really wanted to focus on some things that I had heard from other creators 
One is Amazing Polly. I've been watching her videos for a while now. She's highly intelligent. She's got great insight into what is going on. She's an excellent researcher. If you do not follow her on Rumble, you are really seriously missing out. Some people can't stand to listen to her, probably because it's a female voice. Some people just don't like to listen to females talk. Eh, I don't really blame them, but whatever. I'm a girl. I like listening to other women, especially smart women. So she does her latest video and it's titled, Hang Tight to What You Know Is Real. And her message is, is not to allow all of the things that are out there in the world in this just constant barrage of all this information and all these different conflicting sources of information, do not allow them to break your mind or your will. And be sure to ground yourself by making a list of things that you know to be true. And that that somehow this, this will help us. I think she's on the verge of having her mind just completely fried. And I relate to this so much because we don't really know what to believe is fact and what's fiction anymore. There are people out there. Now, I don't subscribe to the flat earth theory, but some of those people that are red-pilled, black-pilled, they literally believe that we live on a flat planet. And I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to speak harshly about them, but I just, I can't get on board with that. And I seriously think that that is a damaging psyop is what I, and I think that there are certain aspects of people's lives today in which their minds are literally broken and people are overwhelmed. And I would really hate to see anybody become so overwhelmed by information that's being force fed to us because that is exactly what they want. So please ground yourself. Please use your intuitive knowing to not allow yourself to be so overwhelmed and so stressed out that you make yourself sick. So I thought that that was really important to share. Also on Greg's podcast, Endless Endeavor, he has a a conversation with Tyler Stanaway of Compassionate Viking, and they say something really important. And they make mention that it would be best if people like us who are putting a message out there and sharing information to try not to present a problem without presenting a solution with it. Because if we overwhelm people and bring just negativity after negativity, after just a barrage of really crazy, awful information, honestly. Because what we talk about is some, some really deeply sad and dark stuff that maybe if we're going to share that stuff, that's perfectly fine. But try to counteract it with something positive or some sort of technique to give to somebody to practice to kind of help take some of that strain off because it can be a little much. And when we're starting to talk about taking up arms because we feel that people are trying to lock us up for having freedom of thought, that's a serious, serious thought to have. That's life or death. So I'm going to try to take their advice by... When I present you with really, really dark information, like I did in this episode, that maybe if I were to bring something else to the table, like some sort of solution or somewhere to go or something to do for your own sanity and for your own health, which is what I try to do when I bring to you the Stoic of the Week or Inward Survival School of Magic, because... This world is much more than what we can see. And I would really hate to see people be destroyed by, by the pursuit of truth. There are a lot of people out there, which they're calling them casualties of war, that just are unwilling to look at the facts. They would much rather live a life of ignorance because it's easier. And most people take the easier path. And I'm unwilling to do that. And I'm unwilling to teach my kids that that's the right way to go. I mean, I understand it, but would I want that for 
myself or my family? Hell to the no. Sometimes the easier path is not always the right path. It's usually the most difficult, arduous path that is what's going to take us to the destination in which we seek. We are closing another episode of Fringe with Benefits. Next week, it will be episode 90. Man, I can't wait until I'm in three digits. I am way behind. I need to get it together. The Stoic of the Week is Lucius Aeneas Seneca, known simply as Seneca or Seneca the Younger. Born over 2,000 years ago in Spain, the son of Seneca the Elder, Seneca had a mixed reputation. He was considered a practical philosopher, but also questioned because he spent some time with Nero, the infamous Nero. In 41 AD, when Claudius became emperor, he exiled Seneca to the island of Corsica. This is where he stayed for over eight years until Agrippina, the mother of the future emperor Nero, secured his release to become Nero's tutor. Nero would go on to be one of the most tyrannical emperors of the Roman Empire, a fact that caused many people to charge Seneca with hypocrisy. How can someone with so much wisdom tutor Nero, they would ask? Serving any bad guy, especially Nero, is prosperous until it's not. While Seneca got very wealthy, he also got dead. Nero, thinking Seneca was plotting to overthrow him, ordered him killed. He ended up having to kill himself, interestingly. So Seneca said, No person has the power to have everything they want, but it is in their power not to want what they don't have, and to cheerfully put to good use what they do have. He also said, He who is brave is free. And last, but certainly not least, it is a rough road that leads to heights of greatness. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for joining me. Until next time.